0: Back again for the final episode of Black Sails, episode 38. Kind of an odd number to end on. Oh, an even number to end <laughs> on, really. But an odd number nonetheless. I'd say it's the end of an incredible show. One of the best I've ever seen. Maybe the best at presenting dilemmas and shifts of power and allegiance and of conscience. You know, of, of people regretting and f- having distinct soul searching about what they have to do and, and putting this impetus over their own goals. There's also these extremely strong themes of desperation, and we see this theme that's kind of tropey of characters having nothing less to lose, but Black Sales does it in a very untropy way. They do it in a really original way, despite doing it for so many different characters. You know, they find a way to use it over and over without it being overused. And I'm amazed at how well they presented these themes And how they all culminated in this final episode so well. These themes remained present for the whole run.
1: So a big theme of the show, certainly a question that I ask myself often. What's next? Where are things going from here? And pirates often are not known for thinking about the long term, a little more short-sighted. You would think that the leaders maybe need to be long-term thinking when you're (laughs) on ships, in the ocean. you got to make sure you budget your water. But a lot of times pirates just want the treasure in front of them right now and not think about the implications We did see a lot of the characters grow and mature through the course of the show, and they did start to think a little bit more about what comes next, what the next move is, or even what comes after their life, what their legacy will be. That was a key driving factor for several of the characters. Yeah, especially here in
0: this final season. We had a lot of characters questioning that very thing, what they wanted out of life and what it mattered and who mattered. There was a lot of adventure and a lot of action, a lot of the
1: stuff that we like about this show, but, of course, there's a lot of drama to it. There's a lot of mystery. It's not just action and adventure. As appealing as that is, I think the show's appeal is broader than that. And it is disappointing to see it all come to an end. There was so much <laughs> of it, I just want more episodes <laughs> to keep coming. We're going to look at some of the mysteries and how some of it ended and how
0: some of it might keep going here. Yeah, they were kind of sneaky with a few things to keep us thinking about it. So, there's a lot to break down and geek up. I think I just made that word up. We decided it's best to bring in a ringer, someone who really knows their stuff. Welcome, fellow Black Sales lover, fellow podcaster, and pirate expert, Matt. Hi,
2: hello everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my name's Matt. I run a show called the Pirate History Podcast that is about the history of pirates and piracy, as well as the world that they lived in, which is something that I think is really fantastic for Black Sales fans because they took... A fictional show and put it into the real world there's a lot of context involved in both cases
0: yeah really well done glad to have you here matt thanks for joining us well why not let us get on into it
1: meta elements the driving forces behind the show that basically the creators of this show jonathan steinberg and robert levine were the writers of this episode and steinberg was the director of this episode and we also found an interesting few tidbits about some of the performers in the series
2: Well, Toby Stevens, the actor who played Flint, is going to be in a couple of upcoming projects that I'm pretty excited about. There's the Netflix remake of Lost in Space, the sci-fi TV show from the 60s. And then he's going to be playing Tony Blair in a British film called The Journey that looks like it's going to be a pretty serious drama that can show off a lot of his
1: real acting chops. I thought he was going to play Tony Blair in Lost in
0: Space. <laughs> <laughs> there Was there time travel in Lost in Space? Because I would totally watch that show. Especially if they go back into time to the Caribbean in the 19th <laughs> century. Tony Blair becomes a pirate. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it turns out this is all about the upcoming season of Doctor Who. That's what's
1: happening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, a couple other funny things about Toby Stevens... You know, we pointed out in a prior episode that the actor playing Captain Beringer was his brother, brother in real life. Yeah. Or not was, still is his <laughs> yeah. brother in real life. And the actress playing Mrs. Hudson, who does have one of the happy endings in this show, gets back to England with her kids. She's his real life wife. Also, Captain Flint's wife. Yeah, Captain Flint's wife. No, Toby Stevens' wife.
1: <laughs> <Well>.
0: <laughs> and the actor playing Joseph Guthrie... Is married to the actress playing Mary Ann Guthrie in real life. So on-screen husband and wife, real life husband and wife. It looked mm-hmm. like they had a real-life relationship on the show. Yeah, <laughs> it was truly touching. <laughs> <laughs> the actress playing Max is Jessica Parker Kennedy, not to be confused with Sarah Jessica Parker, and she's going to be in a show called "I Love Becca and Lucy," <laughs> which is some <laughs> comedy. Apparently, <laughs> I guess they're playing off the the phrase "I love Lucy." Clearly. Okay, sure. I'm sure there's other plans for a lot of these other actors. Some of them, it was their first, like, major gig. Obviously, the show is really successful. It's hard to get a big break. And for some of them, this might really propel them on to be bigger things. It'll be mm-hmm. fun to see them pop up here and there in the future. Hopefully, we'll see some of them pop up, and maybe they'll do a Treasure Island. We got to, we can hold out, Hope. Everyone cross your fingers for that. I'm not sure it's realistic to, to expect it, but, you know, we can dream.
2: The guy I'm most excited to keep an eye on, actually, I, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but the one who plays Rackham. Toby Schmitz. Yeah, he was so fantastic in this show and I'd never seen anything from him before, but every scene he was in was electric on screen. So I'm hoping that he gets a a real career out of this and we get to see a lot more from him.
1: I agree. I agree, yeah. I think some of the other characters like I don't I don't think that Flint did a poor job in any way, but he's pretty much always playing serious. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas Rackham had a little more variety of personalities coming out sometimes he had to be serious sometimes he's being light sometimes he was afraid i think he had more of a range and that's,
0: was definitely very charming that's a good point there mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of humor uh in the show in general the comic relief when there was some it did tend to come from him or who else i mean a
2: little bit from silver early on he was kind of a goofy character for that's uh, true the, you know the first half of the first season
1: yeah and he definitely became just straight
0: serious no nonsense dark mm-hmm. character yep. yeah 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 So, a lot of these characters, and pirates in general, are highly romanticized. That's just kind of how it is. And fictionalized as well. But Black Sails does remind us that history is written by the winners while keeping to what we know about history. And it introduces this theme very nicely in several places, but makes sure we get the point in this final episode, especially with Jack really wanting to write the affidavit for Woods Rogers, because (laughs) he... In particular, and Woods Rogers in particular, are two people that really care about legacy and about what people think of them. Not everyone cares about that, for example, and doesn't give a crap. (laughs) And Silver, by the end, didn't care. He did care for a while, and he stopped caring. He's like, nope, I don't care. Flint tries to convince him that he's going to care. He cares enough to eventually go back after that treasure. That's for (laughs) sure. So, so much of what we know, I really love that they introduced this theme, because so much of what we know about our own history is secondhand and was written by the winners. So while we have to look at a show like this with a huge grain of salt as far as any of the history goes, we have to do that with history as well, don't we, Matt?
2: It's very true. You know, I've got a bit of headcanon about the, uh, if we're going to jump to the very end of this show, the scene where you see just on screen for a brief moment a general history of the pirates on screen. I like to think that since the author of a general history of the murders and robberies of the most notorious pirates is actually an anonymous source nobody knows who Captain Charles Johnson really was i like to picture that it's actually that young girl that Jack Rackham was talking to in Philadelphia she had such an interest and such a love for pirates and it was so hard for women to get into the publishing game in those days that she would have given herself a pseudonym i like to think that that's that attitude at least is what colors how we see pirates in the modern world today they were monsters and brigands which they were but then we've got more modern interpretations that show us them as real human beings finally
0: right and it's true that we have very few not none but almost none sources written by people who lived the pirate life who experienced it there are some like i said there are some examples but Mm -hmm. most of what we have written is by you know more standard conventional sources who learned everything through research and not through experience
2: yeah absolutely the best source for what pirates were actually doing on a day-to-day basis actually comes from their victims because captains of merchant ships or navy ships would usually have a diary the Spanish were exceptional record keepers. They wrote down every time that one of their ships or one of their cities was attacked. But pirates, most of them were illiterate. The very few that were sucked into the life that had an education didn't have money to have ink and paper on board their ships. So we ha- we don't know what Blackbeard was doing on this date at this time. But what we hear are their testimonies from their trials That's where most of the actual information comes from. Any firsthand accounts, they were almost certainly on trial.
0: And when people are presenting accounts at trial, you know, there's a lot of times they've got an agenda or mm-hmm. they're selling a story, you know. So it's really neat that Black Sales attempts to take on this theme and show that, hey, you know, sure, what we're portraying probably isn't real, but it might be. Some of these things might be truer than they seem you know mm-hmm. or it could have happened yeah
2: which is a a common theme in a lot of the epic myths we have you've got people in the Iliad and the Odyssey who their primary concerns are to live that life of immortality through the myths and stories told about them and they want to do everything they can to make those myths and stories as glorious as possible because at the end you know that's how you survive in the minds of future generations is what you do and how it's recorded.
0: And that was a big part of what made Silver who he was in the show, although it wasn't recorded, but it was what people said about him, the stories Mm -hmm. that people told about him. They weren't true. (laughs) Well, they were (laughs) maybe. There was a grain of truth to some of them. Mm -hmm. But obviously, they were really burned out of proportion to great effect. So the show handled that in a lot of different ways in both subtle and right out in the front. Narrative. So the episode starts in Savannah, where Treasure Island says Flint dies much later. And the scene features Silver's trusted man, Tom Morgan, who is also in Treasure Island. The proprietor of this establishment, the penal colony, for lack of a better term. We don't know what the place is called. I don't think we get a name for it. He has an interesting speech about how society has to exclude people to be society, but how that it should be judged by how it treats those excluded people. Which is, um, I guess for its time, a pretty progressive way of looking at things. Today, we might see things differently, but even I today, thought it was interesting.
1: Even today, seeing things differently, the fact is, there are still excluded people. You know, e- even as we try to not exclude people, there are still excluded people. So I think it is fair to try to judge societies based on how we treat them, rather than whether or not we do it.
0: Definitely. So Matt, what do you think about this, this establishment, this penal colony? Do you think this is somewhat realistic and... Maybe uh, talk to us a bit about the relationships between some of these pirates and how sexuality might have been an issue in forming some of these places in the first place.
2: Sure, absolutely. As to whether or not this place in Savannah is realistic, the best conclusive answer you can get there is maybe. (laughs) Because there aren't really any records of these places, but the very nature of them, there's not... You know, there wouldn't be records of them. There might be a plantation here, but nobody's going to say this is where we sent all of our undesirables and made them live out their days. But I think probably not. I don't think that there were really places like that. If you look back a little further before the pirate era, before the early 1700s, there were places that would be havens for homosexuals. Um, If you were a member of a noble family that was clearly not going to have children and keep the line going, you would be sent into maybe the priesthood where you could still have a respectable life and a good career that would look good for the family, but wouldn't be expected to have kids. But that really wasn't happening by the time of the pirates. Uh, mm. The The priesthood in especially England was a lot smaller and a lot less aggrandized. But I don't think there would have been a labor camp where you would send one of your noble sons, even if he was gay. What I think would have happened to somebody like Thomas would have been a lot more like what we saw happen to Richard Guthrie. You know, he was ostracized from his family for his ideas and his means, which is what I think a big part of what Thomas's family's problem was, his ideas about Nassau. But he was sent halfway around the globe to a faraway island. He had a chunk of money, but he was told that You are no longer a part of the family. You're not to return. You're not to expect any more money from us, certainly not any claim on our titles or any sort of inheritance. You just go there and live there and leave us alone. So I don't think that the labor camp would have been realistic. Now, that's really only a concern for noble families who have inheritance and titles to worry about. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about people who are still wealthy, still well-known, but don't have that much importance to their name, they had a lot of other options. The Navy was actually a big option for a lot of these men. That would have been a likely place for a man like Flint to go into. If he was either homosexual or had homosexual ideas, a lot of families would have pushed their sons to go into the Navy. Now, a lot of those men did wind up in the Caribbean, That was a common place for a lot of gay sailors to decide that this is a good place to be and a healthy place to be for me. Because it's far enough away from the judgmental society of old Europe. And there were a lot of places that were actually very accepting of that in the Caribbean. The biggest example is Tortuga. In the early days, Tortuga was really essentially a a gay colony. All the men there were gay when it was founded some sociologists might call it situational homosexuality cause they just didn't have any women there, <laughs> but it was <laughs> at some point they just had to do that. But even in the 1640s, the governor actually brought in a bunch of prostitutes from Europe and from the mainland and opened up brothels to try and encourage some of that good red blooded heterosexuality. <laughs> but it, but it really didn't take They uh, <laughs> It was it was the French uh, men who were buccaneers in the late 1600s who were some of the first in the world to actually institute uh, something that was not quite but almost gay marriage. They called it, and excuse my terrible French pronunciations, but matiolage or matiolage, hmm. which would be a, a union between two men who were sailors that had some in, in pirate society at least, had some legal benefits. For example, if your partner was killed while you were on a mission, on a raid, you would still get his shares. Oh. Uh, and you were never split up. You were always to be together. And these held true in some of these colonies. Places like uh Port Royal or Tortuga, certainly Nassau, you know, were more accepting of a gay lifestyle. Uh so I think that for People who weren't, you know, landed aristocrats, those would have been viable options for them. Because back in England, things were still terrible. What they called buggery was still an executable offense. People were, yeah, people were arrested and executed for going to what they called uh, molly houses, which were coffee shops that catered to gay men that were interested in gay relationships.
0: Molly houses. (laughs) Wow.
2: Yeah, molly houses.
0: (laughs) Okay. So this whole plot line is interesting to to Sean and I, we watched this show together and back in season two, when it was revealed that Hamilton and Flint were lovers, we looked at each other like, whoa, I got to watch this whole show over again. And to see this, to think about this in context, same thing happened here when we find out that Thomas Hamilton is alive and we find out that silver has known for quite a while, Because it makes a lot of the things he did in retrospect a little different. For example, his absolute insistence to Israel hands that no, do not kill him. Do not kill him in no uncertain terms. He's really clear about it. And it's done so well because we think there's more to it. We think that that part of it is friendship. And Hans is like, no matter what you do, he's going to talk you out of blah, blah, blah. You know, he's just going to convince you again. And all along, it's been because he's got this other plan. Not that there wasn't genuine friendship,
1: but it makes extra sense. It falls in line in two different ways that he has genuine friendship and that he has this plan B.
0: Yeah, it's really the, the true reasons were really masked behind other good reasons.
2: If anything, it really seems to add to their friendship. If he realizes that there's a possibility that he can help solve Flint's demons if Thomas is actually alive somewhere, that's that's a noble goal because he and Flint are so close by that point when he realizes it that he sees it almost as his responsibility to protect him, to get him there, to help him reclaim who he was.
0: It's a bit like the attitude he has towards Maddie. He basically decides he knows what's best for both of them, which is a little paternalistic, but it's a really extreme situation. Mm-hmm. And he's not wrong about su- certain aspects of it. Certainly, his one of his key insights is that he knows how Flint felt because for a brief time, he thought he lost Maddie. And thus, he saw the world through Flint's eyes. He understood that loss. And he realized what was behind it all. And it was just rage and loss and frustration. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really about justice or changing the world or whatever. That was just something he told himself. And that just changed everything for him. That also makes it easier to
1: pitch to other people. Hey, everyone, join me in this war because I want to get revenge. Versus, hey, everyone, join me in this war because of liberty and justice, you know? Yeah, it's, it's hard not to like, sign up yeah. for someone else's revenge. <laughs> it's not like he doesn't care about liberty and justice, but he wasn't trying to start a war 10 years ago. He started trying to start this war once he had his mindset in revenge. I wonder also if maybe that affected Maddie. Maddie wasn't necessarily trying to start some war, but once her dad died, all right, now where am I going to direct my frustration and anger
2: you see, for Maddie, I actually don't see hers as a quest for revenge. I see hers as the actual quest for freedom because they were, you know, freed slaves. So I think that her motivation for the war was different. There was rage there, certainly, for all of the injustice that had been done to her people. But she really wanted to gain freedom for as many of them as possible. I don't think it was revenge. I think her, her goal was revolution.
0: I think it's probably both on some levels. Mm-hmm. I think you're right that there's definitely not, it's not just rage and frustration. I think Flint is more about frustration and rage and revenge. Mm-hmm. Maudie's is more of a, like a little from column A, a little from column B. Certainly she has lived a whole life of, of this. Whereas Flint, it was more of, you know, a long, a big chunk of his life, but he wasn't born into that mm-hmm. frustration and that, that injustice.
1: Consider Julius, by the way, I think he maybe has more, you know, anger and rage and drive for revenge. And he's not trying to start a war. He's like, well, I just want to live a safe life, not being a slave. Clearly, all the characters have mixes of motivations. None. It's not like any person anywhere. It just yeah. has one motivation. There's a whole slew of them. But Silver believed that for himself as you know he tried to self-analyze himself and for flint that it, the real drive was revenge and anger and that it was just getting played into this war and that what he really wants is just a happy safe life with the woman that he loves and that became his new goal his new mission mm-hmm. right on
0: so what we have here in this final episode is everyone maneuvering towards this ultimate end the thing that they want to see happen and it's basically coming down to what they want most out of life. It's, what, it's, that, it's that decision as to what comes next. And they're all trying to get th- what they want out of what comes next. And unfortunately, these things are at odds with each other for a lot of the main characters who are otherwise close to each other. Flint, of course, is extremely ambitious about his revenge, his war, his revolution to change humanity and how peace and power structures are perceived throughout the world. I mean, that's extremely ambitious.
1: Flint started up at a higher point than a lot of these other characters. A lot of these other characters, sort of the height of their life is becoming the captain of a ship. Flint's know, officer in the Navy, a captain of the ship. He's looking, he wants to be an admiral of a ship. Like, you know, he just starts at this higher point. So his concept of revenge is also going to be a higher point. He doesn't want to revenge against some Spanish captain that attacked him and <laughs> tried to hang him. He wants revenge against the governor of North Carolina yeah, against the entire mission of, of England. England. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he just has a higher level, a higher vision of what his revenge
0: is. Good point. So I'm going to just run through a few other, the characters here just to kind of run through what their ultimate goals were. And we can see, get a kind of a picture of how these things coalesced into certain alliances that form between them. And as they realized that they had the same goals, Max, for example, wanted to have Anne in her life, no matter what, but she also wanted to rule Nassau on her own terms. And for that to happen, she was in the peace party rackham wants his money but he also wants Anne. he also wants to be to have peace relatively he doesn't want this war he also cares about being remembered but he also has revenge like you said his revenge is of a smaller scale he doesn't care about going after the whole nation of england he just wants this one particular english governor and speaking of that english governor he just wants to kill everyone now all the pirate not everyone but all the pirates everyone that's he blames for his wife's death. And he wants to restore Nassau. He's also kind of in that same headspace that Flint is in, where he feels like he's lost everything and he's, you know, got to go all out. He's going to be completely ruthless because there is no middle ground anymore. Then Billy, kind of in a similar spot. He's lost everything. He's pretty much just got his revenge now and beating the people that wronged him. He doesn't have a future, though. At least Woods Rogers has. Well, at least I can be governor of Nassau, maybe. Billy has. What's his outlook? It's pretty grim. Silver wants Maddie. <laughs> and he doesn't mm-hmm. want the war. But his big problem is Maddie does want the war.
1: Interesting parallel with Silver and Maddie and Max and Anne. And Anne, yeah. Anne doesn't necessarily want this war, but she wants adventure. You know, she doesn't want to like be happy and safe. Maddie wants this big war, this big adventure. Silver just wants to be happy and safe. You know, a lot of times two characters who care for each other have different angles in their life. And how they get compromised or don't get compromised are interesting dilemmas and plot points for their show. That makes me wonder exactly what Anne is looking for. Her motivation
2: has always been strange to me because she's asked everybody that she has loved and everybody that has loved her at different points to just leave. Just leave all of this behind. We've got enough money to go somewhere else where all of this will go away and we can live a life happily but she never does she always tries to like pull them out of it and i wonder what she's trying to get out of it is it is it love and acceptance is it peace is it adventure i'm not sure that Anne ever knew what she wanted but i've never been able to figure out her character
1: yeah i was gonna say i don't know if she knows she's probably just Mm -hmm. conflicted herself but as most people are Sometimes when you have an idea that you want something, even if it's something different than what you're doing now, you even recognize what you're doing now isn't good, and you have this idea that you want some other thing. If you're good at what you're doing now, it's hard to leave it. It's hard to leave the thing that you're good at and accustomed to for some other thing that you don't really know about. Even if in your mind you know you're supposed to or it should be better, it's hard to make a big change like that.
2: So you're saying that Anne Bonny is the uh, Heisenberg, Of the pirate world, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So, out of all these characters maneuvering to reach their final ends, it's Silver, who is probably, almost certainly, probably might be an understatement, the cleverest at getting his goals. Max is perhaps even more successful than Silver at achieving his goals, but to execute them and make them happen... Silver does something incredibly clever by figuring out these motivations of other people, keying in on them, and as he said about Flint, Captain Flint was born of great tragedy. I returned him to an earlier state of being. I did not kill Captain Flint. I unmade him. He basically said, what happens, or damn it, he basically says, when you risk it all, that means a lot but it doesn't mean a lot when you have nothing to lose because you're risking nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what Silver did was to show Flint that, hey, look, you do have something to lose. You have this relationship. You have this man that you love. And if you keep going with this, you can't have him. You can have one or the other. There's actually a lot of very
1: clever characters in his show. Oh, yeah. Silver, obviously. Flint also. Max. One thing I think a lot about is how clever the writers have to be to, <laughs> to create these clever characters. So one thing they want to do is make this grand adventure. And they also want to give the pirates some nobility, right? So they're not just trying to go kill the ship or get this money. They're trying to win independence. They're trying to gain liberty. They're trying to fight the powers. So as they move toward this grand goal, they can't get too far along. You know what I mean? Like, this story can't turn into how the Caribbean, won it's independence from England, because that just didn't (laughs) happen in real life. They have to find some way to cut short the ambitions, the noble ambitions of these pirates. At the same time, they have to, while putting these characters in life-threatening dilemmas, they have to make sure at the end, Silver's still alive. You know, there's a lot of constraints on how they tell this story, and I think they piece it all together very well especially considering how they have to have all these very clever characters outmaneuvering each other. The writers just had to have a hell of a challenge to piece all this together, and I think they did a great job.
2: I, they really did. I. It's really hard to write characters that are smarter than you are, and I think they probably <laughs> did a great job. Did we ever see Rackham and Silver working at odds, like fighting each other in some fashion? Because they were both very clever characters, and they both managed to... Kind of maneuver around other stronger people a lot in the show. Did they ever were they ever head to head in anything?
0: I don't
1: recall that. I I can't think of them ever actively being pit against each other. Mm -hmm.
0: They may have been indirectly opposed when when Rackham grabbed the cash, yeah, um, Yeah. in secret, and then later. But he later told people that he had it. He told like revealed that he had it. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: I think we saw them working together several times. Yeah, and maybe. Um, indirectly working against each other just because they were part of teams that had different goals or on different mm-hmm. shifts but where they weren't even communicating to each other but we definitely saw them work together including here at the end I think there's this implication that they did trade secrets in that conversation where they mm-hmm. talked about their multiplying questions Yes, it seemed clear that they did let each other know their trump
0: cards and, and they both worked together to play it out versus Flint and they both realized by the end there how much their goals really did align they both realized that Flint had to go and Silver maybe didn't tell Jack he didn't care about the cash, but he knew that Jack wanted the cash and was able to use that as leverage. He mm-hmm. knew that all he cared about was Madi, but he could pretend to care about other things. But really, mm-hmm. as long as that was the priority, that's really all he cared about getting. And so he was able to use everything else as leverage and be like, okay, you get this, I get this. But really, all of that was just to protect his real interest. Again thinking about in retrospect how much sense Silver's plan makes,
1: the money is fuel for the war, and as Silver doesn't want the war, of course he's going to trade the money away to get Maddie. He does not care about the money. He doesn't even care if it gets lost on the island cuz that's actually better for him if his goal is to keep Maddie out of this war.
0: Yeah, that's why it's partly why it's so interesting. Silver, looking back on Silver's actions, with digging the cash out of the ground and bringing it with him for the swap, it's like Israel Hands tries to, you know, is like, "Ah, what are you doing here? You know, you realize you're going to have to kill Flint, blah, 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 blah. And really, Silver, this is just his win-win move here. He's like, look, if Flint dies, okay, that ends the war. If we lose the cash, that ends the war. You know, he's just like, all we got to do is either lose Flint, lose the cash, or lose both. And somehow, I can get Maddie out of all that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: In the short term, (laughs) he was willing to go along with Flint's plan to get Maddie back. Because
0: that's primary goal number one. That's goal A1.
1: Right. But even if that works, it's still going to be a dilemma for him because the war is still going on. He still wants to pull Maddie out of this. you know. But at least he's got Maddie to pull her out of this. But if he can get Maddie and get rid of the money, that's his big plan. And he also doesn't necessarily have to kill Flint to do this. In fact... He has to not kill Flint. The way he's seeing this is it Flint dying, just like Maddie recognized, hey, Billy, you kill me, you're creating a martyr. That's not actually getting you the revenge that you think you want. Silver killing Flint doesn't end the war. It fuels the war. He's got to undo Flint. He's got to, as he said, bring him back to an earlier state of being. And that also keeps things lined up historically. Does that make sense? Yeah. That keeps the the Maroons and the Pirates from successively defeating England, which didn't historically happen. So I feel like Silver had this perfect plan to get the girl
0: and keep the show in line with history. <laughs> <laughs> and because Flint didn't have a loved one, and that was the main difference mm-hmm. between Silver had a loved one that he cared about more than anything else, Jack essentially in the same boat, ha <laughs> in the same boat. And... <laughs> But Flint, that's the big difference. He didn't have that, but Silver showed him, "Hey, you no, know, you do have that." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> really neat, really awesome. Billy doesn't have it.
1: Yeah, and he's still out there. He's still got motivations pushing him, right?
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. poor Billy, mm-hmm. and and bad Billy. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> mixed, very tragic figure, and have a lot. It's easy to have mixed feelings about him.
2: I liked Billy for so much of the show, so much of it. He was just a lovable character who you identified yeah. with,
0: and you kind of wanted to see him get his way. Yeah, his mix, the mixed feelings came later. You're right. It, he was unambiguously good character for the first two and a half to three and a half seasons, really. Mm-hmm.
1: I would say right up to the point when he fired on Flint at the plantation. I think up to that point, you're rooting for him, if you will. And even at that point, as terrible as that moment was, it was still understandable. I still saw why he did that, even though... Maybe it wasn't good or I didn't like it. It made sense for his character to do that. He had this mission he had been working toward that we really hadn't been seeing much of. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? We're not really following his character. We're following Flint and so all these other characters. And so there's a tendency, even if their plans are immoral or murderous or whatever it is, they're the protagonists. We can't help but want for those plans to come to fruition. We hadn't quite been following Billy. But it doesn't mean he wasn't doing anything. He had been leading these men, setting up this mythology of silver, planning this attack. And now he's got it all ready to go. And Flint's like, ah, oh, no, no, no. We don't want to do that. What do you mean we don't want to do that? My, my men are dying here. I'm doing this. <laughs> and it also seemed like after he did it, it was sort of this momentum and this heat that he had. It seemed like he regretted it. It seemed like he was all but apologizing. He, he recognized it was a mistake. And was even trying to make amends, whether it was by looking out for Silver because he legitimately, understandably, justifiably, Saul Flint is a villain. You know, he's like, hey, Silver, you're my friend. How can you be going along with this Flint guy? This is what we need to do. This is how I can help you. And Silver was torn. You know, like, even at this moment when I think Billy's shifting to a villain, I'm still kind of on his side, if you will, you know. Yeah, he
2: might be kind of a Magneto character. You really understand why he's doing what he's doing even if it's kind of hurting the good guys. But even when he's firing on the pirates near the uh or right after the ship explodes, he takes a second and he chooses not to shoot the man who set him free when he would have almost certainly been killed when he was in captivity. Yeah. Uh
0: Definitely. So it's not
2: just I just want to murder them all. You know, he's definitely angry and full of rage, but he's still enough of a decent human being to make that choice, not to kill somebody that did good.
0: And that's why he struggles with killing Madi. He, he clearly isn't like dead set on it, or he Mm -hmm. wouldn't have been like, hemming and hawing and justifying it to her yeah. and just, mm-hmm. like, opining, this is right, but if you're telling yourself it's right, it might not be right. <laughs> That's usually how it works. If you have to convince yourself, mm-hmm. maybe it's not so sure.
2: Man, that scene was so good. It was almost like he was begging her to give him a reason not to do it. You could tell he so didn't want to. He wanted her to talk him out of it. She
0: did a good job. She yeah. said the right thing. <laughs> yeah, she... Yeah. <laughs> Spoke to him on his own terms, like, well, if you want to win by doing this, let me tell you why this is not a win. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If we're going forward a little bit, we have Silver and Rackham have made their kind of plan behind Flint's back. Now, Flint realizes he figures it out, but he doesn't figure it out exactly. He knows something is up, but he's misjudged other people's motivations. He doesn't understand where Silver's mind has gone. But Silver understands him a lot better. That was sort of introduced in the previous episode with Silver understanding Flint's background. And Flint saying, I don't understand your background. And that, you know, I need to know that. And they went back and forth on that. And that's culminating here a bit. And Silver is the mystery. So Flint can't figure him out. It's also worth
1: noting that part of Silver's plan is something that Flint just can't predict. There's no way that he should have guessed that Hamilton is still alive. Silver found him and he's <laughs> in Savannah. There's no way he could have put that together. There was a moment when they were on the rowboat heading to get the treasure. And you could kind of see Flint in his mind's kind of spinning. He's like figuring it out. He's, he doesn't know what it is, but he knows something up. And then when he's having the confrontation with Silver, Silver's like, you know, the plans in motion and the money and the, the ship. And we got the governor. It's all there's nothing can stop this war now. And Flint's like, except you. Why would you do it? He just can't piece together what the plan is. And it was neat how they don't quite tell us yet. They save it. You know what I mean? Like, we we see, we eventually see what the plan is, but we don't see Silver tell Flint. We see Silver tell Madi. Yeah, we, uh.
2: that scene on the rowboat you mentioned, there's a shot, clearly, they're supposed to be going to dig up the treasure. But when it, it, it's focused on Silver's face and then it focuses on Flint's face and then the camera moves up and focuses on the shovels in the bottom of the boat, you realize that everything is not as it seems and every everybody's aware of it. Silver knows that Flint knows that they're not actually going to get the treasure and Flint knows that Silver knows that he knows that they're <laughs> not actually going to get the treasure. So that, that whole exchange is, is fantastic as they're rowing onto shore.
1: Another thing I didn't catch the first time around, but Morgan was on that rowboat. Yeah, oh, Tom Morgan was there. Yeah. And okay. I assume Morgan also knows. Yeah, he mm-hmm. was also on our rowboat, yeah.
0: One of the ways the show wraps things up is by having Jack explain to, quote, Mark Reed, who is Mary Reed, almost certainly, <laughs> and mm-hmm. how things are.
2: Well, Mary Reed went by Mark at a point in her life. Perfect. That was oh, okay. When she and Anne were were both on Vane's ship. Uh, masquerading as men they went by different names and that was the one she chose how
0: easy and convenient you just change one letter and you go from <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: it's almost like you, you just a little slip with your pen and it's like oh it looks just the same.
0: <laughs> so we see how Nassau is part of it's like semi it's not a montage but we see Jack explaining it as we see different scenes and shots of of what he's explaining which is that Featherstone is basically the figurehead governor now and Adele is sort of helping and i s- suppose it's possible that those two get married what do you guys think
2: i would assume they got married if you're going to be governor you need a wife that knows the town and clearly max wasn't going to marry him so that would make sense <laughs> and she seemed and she seemed to be right there doing business with him for for months and months ahead of time. So she would be the logical choice.
0: And they really trust each other as well, all the that mm-hmm. three of them as well. And yeah. we also see the old schemer, Mrs. Mapleton, who hadn't been around for a while, but it was, was a big part of season one, kind of came back right here at the end. We see that she's part of the new regime doing her thing. She's obviously mm-hmm. skilled at what she does. She's maybe not mm-hmm. trustworthy, but she is skilled.
2: <laughs> Welcome to Nassau.
0: <laughs> you got to work with what you got to work with. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: if I was going to complain, it would be that things were almost too tidy. It was almost too happy. It seemed like there should have been a little bit more death and tragedy, given the the dangerous way that everyone was in. And just the nature of these times, I mean, some of them should have just died of fever or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: if I can be a total buzzkill, not to worry if and Bonnie and Mary Reed are both sailing with Captain Calico Jack. They're all going to be in chains within a couple of years and yeah. before long Captain Woods Rogers is actually going to get out of jail and come back to Nassau and be the governor once again. Yeah. yeah. Now that's not a Treasure Island head but that is that is real history. That's what wound up happening to all these people. So everything won't always end happily. <laughs>
1: It is possible that some of these happy moments they tied up with are
0: setups for future stories, and we mm-hmm. could see tragedies for them still. That would be cool. I, I definitely am interested in the real stories of these. It's interesting to compare history to how they portrayed these things. Like Matt said, the in particular, the ending there for Rackham is probably the most inaccurate (laughs) although it's not inaccurate to show that he had a time where things were okay for him but it's Mm -hmm. not long after this relative period that yeah he's he definitely doesn't live happily ever after yeah none of them none of them do and
2: except for woods rogers he does all right in the
0: end it's funny he gets one of the things that helped him get famous again and gets a pardon from from the king is he writes a book Mm -hmm. on piracy he writes this famous book that gets noticed and brings him back into the public light. And that, I guess, is it, Matt, was it? did that lead to his debtors forgiving him? Or was that, had that come before? That
2: came, well, he was in debtor's prison and the sales from that book actually helped him pay off a lot of those debts. Ah. Uh, the pardon from the, yeah, because it was a hit back in London. People loved that book. It was a big, big seller. We're here right now and I have an audience to speak to, so I've got to jump on this. The biggest gripe I have about the real history of the pirates versus what happened in Black Sails is that for some reason, Ed Teach and Charles Vane were super close friends in Black Sails. And in the real world, while they were compatriots in almost a war, those two men hated each other. They despised each other and thought the way that they each did Uh, You could really say that Flint is almost a Blackbeard character because Blackbeard, you know, used fear, but he tried not to kill too many people. He wasn't too fond of slavery, whereas the real Charles Vane was a real bastard. And actually, (laughs) Calico Jack Rackham wound up uh, taking over his ship through a mutiny. He He wound up kicking Charles Vane off of his own vessel and taking control of it. So those relationships are a little bit skewed, but... It worked so well in the show that I don't care, so I can end my rant now. Thank You,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was uh, aware generally that Jack Rackham had gotten a ship from Vane, but I didn't know the details of how it happened. And I'm curious if anyone really knows the details, because I wonder if it's possible that the real story was that they were close and that maybe something happened that to save face you know that you know maybe mm-hmm. the the crew was mad at vane for something and rackham said this look is... man you get out of here i'll take the ship you know and it, that maybe they were friends you know i could just imagine there being an interesting story behind that.
2: there's a good question there and actually a lot of questions raised because it was they had had a bad stroke or bad spate of luck things weren't going too well on board the revenge and so the crew was gonna mutiny so it's entirely possible that jack rackham was like yes i'll lead them to mutiny, and then they didn't kill Captain Vane. They uh, mm-hmm. they marooned him on a on a piece of shore. But then it wasn't too much longer that a random ship just happened to show up and rescue him. So it's entirely possible that Calico Jack could have sent that ship to go rescue his former captain, who he didn't really bear any ill will towards. Mm.
1: That's kind of how I like to imagine a lot of black sails, mm-hmm. is we have these like names and dates these things that happened, but we don't really know the personalities of the people involved. And it's possible that there were relationships or motivations that were shown showing here. Probably this is all just completely made up, but, <laughs> it's, but it shows you how much <laughs> could be, they could, they, you know, I can mm-hmm. imagine it's possible to have written this story with different personalities and different relationships and still hit the main points of history or whatever, you know, it's neat yeah. how, how it to think about how the story could have gone.
2: Well, yeah, the only personalities that we have from the actual pirates, the only pictures of that, come from books written not that long after. And those historians in the mid-1700s weren't the most dedicated to accuracy. They they, They were trying to move books. They were trying to sell as many copies as possible. So if you could turn a person who might have been a relatively... Peaceful person into somebody who ate babies that would sell as many books as you need. So, we don't have that much on the personality of these people aside from what they chose to do and chose not to do.
0: Yeah, that's a really good add on to what we were discussing earlier about how these histories are written by the winners. And you had just presented a really compelling reason as to why these pirates and their brutality and cruelties would be exaggerated. Not to, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that these romantic ideals are accurate either but if they're trying to sell books hell yeah they're going to embellish things yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) it's a tough thing to do i'm you know i do a show about pirates and pirate history and you can't ever forget the fact that these were violent people that did lots of murder and rapes and robberies on the high seas you know they these are criminals they're not Robin Hood, but there is kind of a Robin Hood thing. You've got to kind of choose how you want to tell that story to try and be as accurate as possible. It's a, it's a tough tightrope to walk with with any anti-heroes, I guess.
1: Something I actually wanted to bring up with you, Matt. When I first started watching the show, of course, it's about pirates, you know, and mm-hmm. however mm-hmm. much history might have been distorted or filled in by the winners or whatever, I'm pretty sure pirates were At a minimum, thieves. Uh, By definition, that's what they were doing. But probably also murderers and rapists and so on. Mm -hmm. And through the course of this show, if they want us to follow these characters and have them be protagonists or good guys, well, they can't just be rapers and murderers the whole time. And so they start to give them these quests of noble causes for justice and liberty from England. And I thought that Mm -hmm. was just embellishment to make it so that we could root for these characters. But in your show, you point out that's something that really happened. There really was this movement among the pirates for independence in Nassau, right?
2: Yeah, there was. Um, And it would have been about this time. It would have been right about 1720. That would have been perfect. So there was a group called the, Fly- the Flying Gang was the name of it. Now, you remember Ben Hornigold from the show, yeah. mm-hmm. right? The older captain. In real life, Ben Hornigold was one of the earliest pirates on Nassau. Not one of the very first, that would have been Henry Avery, but one of the first pirates that that set up shop there. His protege was Ed Teach, was Blackbeard. Then there was another guy who was uh, a contemporary of Hornigold named Henry Jennings, and his protege was Charles Vane. Now, these four pirates were the four biggest names in Nassau for a while. A little bit later on, you'd get people like Steed Bonnet and... A few others uh Mary Reed and Bonnie Calico jack, but those were the big four, and they while they were, had different ways they did things uh the Blackbeard side versus the Charles vade side, they all were working together to push England out of nassau they they were trying to effect a revolution. There's a really spectacular book out there that I recommend you read called The Republic of Pirates by Colin Woodard. Hmm. It's It tells this story in a very readable, fun, adventurous fashion. If you want the real story behind what happened in Black Sails, it's all right there. Or you could always listen to my show because I'm <laughs> going to be getting into that stuff as soon as possible.
0: That's the only, yeah, isn't that too bad? That's one, like, I love your show. It's just too bad you weren't able, because you're so thorough... You haven't gotten to this mm-hmm. Caribbean stuff yet. It's too bad it didn't line up more with Black Sails.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I had an outline built for the entire show. I said, well, I'm going to get done with Francis Drake in this many episodes, and then Captain Morgan in this many episodes, and that didn't even come close to happening. <laughs> I'm, I'm so far behind what that outline said, months and months behind. So, But it's fantastic. I still love doing it, so I cannot complain.
1: I do appreciate all the context you give, too. I really like to have a good feel for what the world was like at that moment, what other mm-hmm. world events were going on at the same time as some of the specific actions of the pirates or whatever.
0: Yeah. It's far more compelling than people might have thought. You know, like all the religious background and all the political yeah. upheaval in Europe and all the different things are happening that, that made people go to the New World.
2: Mm-hmm. We
0: only touched, scratched the surface on it talking about it here today. There's one other thing that I was reminded of when you talked about
1: Vane being marooned. The word marooned, I just assumed it was a word as old as seafaring. I thought it was, you know, a Greek word or older, you know. But apparently, it comes from this group of escaped slaves in the Caribbean, right? Apparently, there's a French word for chestnut, which means dark red. But then the Spanish word simaroon means wild. And I probably a derogatory term given to escaped slaves. And it turned into marooned. And that the idea of being marooned, being exiled or lost on an island, removed from society or whatever, they kept saying the marooned, the marooned in the show. And I wondered if that was a a term that was used around this time around these people. And apparently it was, and it's the origin of the word being marooned. Hmm. Is that something you get into at all with your podcast, Matt? Well, there was a
2: little bit of talk about the uh, escaped slave colonies in one of the episodes. There's some controversy over that fact, though. This is a question for linguists who are a lot smarter than I am, but that Mm -hmm. the 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 source, the root word might be, you know, an ancient Latin word that does have the same meaning, but that they actually might come from different places versus the Spanish and the French there uh, and actually don't come from you know they're cognate but don't really come from the same root word I can't say one way or another whether that happens but uh, the 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 Maroons were one of the most because by the time of the, uh, the golden age of piracy Ed Teach, Charles Vane, Calico Jack there were no natives left anywhere in the Caribbean you know you had to go to the mainland to find them most of them had died off or been sold as slaves so a lot of the inland wilderness had been taken over by escaped slaves and made into slave colonies. That's why you have, you know, entire religions based on a mix of Christianity and those Western African religions turning into voodoo. You know, that stuff exists out there in the wilderness. Uh, but I, there's going to be a lot more coming about that stuff in the days to come.
0: Excellent. Cool. Is it more of a is it more of a time period issue? It's it's not it hasn't.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean the real story of the escaped slaves gets super interesting when you actually leave the the golden age of piracy behind. That's when they actually, yeah. you know, this war that they're trying to start doesn't quite get off the ground either for the slaves or for the pirates. But if you look forward about eighty years or so, you've actually got the American revolution close by the Haitian revolution and a bunch of other slave revolutions that happened. The powers that be of old Europe were still too powerful in the Caribbean for any of that to happen when the pirates were doing their thing. But both sides did on occasion work together. They weren't, they weren't allies in the way you see in the show because there was still a, a very white supremacist attitude that pirates didn't really need any of these, you know, darker skinned peoples to help them do their things but but they would occasionally work together when the situation called for it
1: the little bit of reading that i did apparently there were you know they might not have been officially called maroons but even drake apparently would find groups of escaped slaves from the spanish that he would employ Mm -hmm. and it eventually there were actual treaties with maroon communities on jamaica yeah. because there was so much loss of commerce and trade and everything with these groups of escaped slaves trying to fend off the Spanish. Cool. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, it was when he was doing his circumnavigation that Drake picked up a bunch of escaped slaves from the Spanish uh, mines there, and he took them with him. But it would, you know, Jamaica, you think of it today, you think of it as a as a country full of mostly people of African descent despite the fact that it was a British colony for years and years and years. But that's because they did have such close ties with the slave communities
1: there.
0: So we get a lot of explanation. We get a lot of understanding where the final characters are at, what their end state is as far as the show goes. But there's several open questions, some things left hanging, and maybe a mystery or two. I'm going to start with something that isn't really a mystery, but just a great little moment which was when Silver is trying to find Maddie below decks, and he finds the cook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He's yeah. like, what are you, a coward? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm just the cook. <laughs> that was a nice touch.
2: Do you think that's when he realized that he had turned into the bad guy? That he was, you know, that, that's who he used to be, that cook who was just, oh, I don't want to get killed, please don't kill me. And he realized that he was one of the terrifying people now.
1: Yeah, there was a scene later on when he's talking to Maddie. He's like, I'm not the villain that you
0: think I am. (laughs) I'm just trying to be a good guy here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One thing that Flint says to Silver at the beginning or early in the episode that is part of the mystery surrounding Flint's end. Now, there's no doubt that the showrunners wanted to leave Flint's end ambiguously. They wanted to leave the possibility to make you think about the idea that this was a story. In other words, that Flint's end was a story. We don't actually see Flint go to Savannah. We see it on screen, but this is Silver telling the story to Maddie. This is him telling her what happened, that he had this plan all along, etc. And there's a few details they show us to add to that mystery. One of them is the men that are with Flint and Silver on the island. There's a shot of them kind of... Maybe hearing something, turning their heads, and then walking towards the other.
2: They they all look in the same direction at the same moment. It could be, just it could be silver saying, "Hey, come get you know, come get us now." But it looks very, (laughs) mm -hmm, but it looks very much like there was a gunshot, and then these men carrying shovels marched up the hill.
0: Yeah, I kind—I of, agree with that. It's—it's—it's it's, it's very ambiguous because to me, if there had been a gunshot, there would have been more commotion in the jungle. There would have been birds, and but the birds were just still mm-hmm. regular, regular pace, and mm-hmm. they didn't react like "Whoa, what was that?" It was more like "Okay, something happened."
2: They would have known those men that were with him would have known that they were going there to bury Flint if that was, in fact, what they were going there to do. They would have known that that was their end goal, so they wouldn't have been surprised. But you're right, there was no, you know, no dogs ran across the screen, no birds went flying, nothing like that quite happened.
1: Also, in that moment, it wasn't like there was this overpowering music happening. Yeah. And there mm-hmm. were the sounds of nature or whatever. There wasn't the sound of a gunshot. So it maybe the gunshot happened like, a moment prior, and we just didn't hear it was it was an unusual scene yeah. they definitely showed us that scene, and I went back and watched it a couple times trying to think of exactly what it was we were being shown, and it didn't come to a solid conclusion
2: there was when they showed Flint on the estate in Savannah the the question of what if he were dead there that whole sequence makes sense because he walks through these pair of gates that open up for him under this wide verdant mm-hmm. plain, And then there's no sound. There's everybody's wearing white except for him. Who's wearing stark black. Like he's passing from one realm into another. And there's actually a scene and a line where they say something about how he's walking back into the light. So there are a lot of a lot of visual cues about
0: he's he might be entering the afterlife. (laughs) Yeah. And I love the way they set it up. Flint says to Silver in regards to how are you going to explain this to Madi? You know, how are you going to get her Mm -hmm. back after you gave up her war, especially if you killed me? He says even you could not construct a story that would mm-hmm. solve this issue. And he's like, are you sure? Challenge accepted. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yes, challenge accepted. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, it's really, I love the ambiguity. I think all three of us, if I can speak for a so I think we all lean, or, or at least, at least lean towards, or solidly believe that Flint lived. Especially because of Treasure Island, he's, it's said that he died in Savannah much later. But, mm-hmm. I'll good job of leaving that ambiguity. Because they aren't exactly bound to Treasure Island. They don't have to do exactly what Treasure Island says. Yeah,
2: Exactly. And that's, you know, that's a a tool used in a lot of literature. Not just books like Treasure Island, but there's a lot of literary tricks that are used throughout the show. And that's one of them, to show you possible realities and to let you interpret that how you will. Uh, Which can then go on to kind of color how you see the future how you see treasure island can really be decided on how you see what happened to flint here
1: it is worth noted, adding to the ambiguity in the opening scene when morgan is asking the guy who runs this place listen i'm gonna ask you one more time is the prisoner here or not
0: and it cuts with Cut the theme music and yeah. we to get an actual <laughs> it does answer. oh it so that, was yeah it was very good and as, as something we also discussed pr- as in preparing this episode is they couldn't reveal the thing about Hamilton being alive soon too soon, because then you don't get this ambiguity of whether it's real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if we know he's alive, then we don't get the ambiguity of Flint being retired there. In this version, Thomas Hamilton might not be alive at all. Right. We, as far as we know, Mm -hmm. that's just what silver says.
2: Well, what was the line silver said? I returned him to an earlier state of being. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which makes sense in the idea that, you know, he did kill Flint. He killed the the character, the creation of Flint by giving him the thing that he wanted from before without, you know, actually pulling a trigger. Yeah.
0: He's back to being James McGraw instead of James Flint.
2: There it is. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is entirely, you know, a beautiful way to look at it. But if he is dead, then we have to assume that Thomas was killed as well and they are being joined together. Into a much earlier state of being as, you know, <laughs> spirits in the afterlife rather than uh, actual living human beings who are being reunited.
1: Audio elements.
0: There's some notable audio things they did in this episode, like they do at two different points. Matt, you already mentioned that they cut all the sound out of that last scene when Flint is being reunited mm-hmm. with Hamilton. They also cut out all the sound during part of the battle. Especially the culmination of the battle as Woods Rogers was defeated, so you have music only with the fighting going on now that's that's been done before it's a it's a mm-hmm. cool trick that's been done in plenty of movies and other shows. thought it was used to good effect here. It was a
1: shift too because it does start off with the clanging of swords and a firing of guns and the creaking of the wood and the ropes and everything. but slowly, I think it culminates in a moment when Jack spots Rogers, yeah. The music just starts to overpower all the rest of the noise of the battle. Yeah, you're right. I didn't, I didn't
2: realize they were doing it until that moment, until he was walking up to face him. But then, I but they had been building towards that for the entire battle.
0: The probably most stunning moment was the ships coming together, the ramming. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. There's this moment as they're sailing out, sus- suspicious of where rogers is yeah and they think that he might be right around this corner and as they're heading up the music is i'm gonna say tense and subdued like these long drawn out string chords you know but the instant the instant they crest the corner and you see the other ship the music swells and it's like trumpets and it's intense and it really added to the frantic reaction that everyone has and interesting that flint recognized almost immediately they're going to get rammed. He's not sitting or waiting to shoot at them. He's going to ram them, which we kind of see, you know, Rogers, instructions he gives his crew, they're a little confused, like, no, I want to terrorize them. I want to break them. Yeah. not just going to shoot them. We're going to break them, you know. I thought that was a really good moment, and the music really helped to add to that moment.
0: And his declaration was really strong. Like you said, he was so intense about it. He's like, there are no others. You know, that, yeah. that was actually a line from when they're shooting... He's mm-hmm. like, don't shoot Flint. He's like, what about the others? There are I no realize, others. But yeah. yeah, yeah, like you said, yeah, he's got all these like really intense, they're all dead. I want to kill them all. So there's also a lot of really tense music when Billy was holding the knife to Maddie's throat, which was right before this battle, too, because he's expecting them to win. He knows they're about to fight. He's like, but I want to make sure I cover all my bases. And so to make that scene even more tense, they got that the the big tension music to go with it.
1: Yeah, I think as a whole, the show just did a beautiful job of integrating music. And in fact, they they did get several awards for uh, editing and sound type awards. You know, they didn't win like, you know, best actor, or best show, which I think would have been reasonable, but they did win a lot of technical
0: awards for editing and sound. Yeah, good to mention. Visual elements. The battle, of course, wasn't just spectacular for the sounds. There were some amazing sights. I think that maybe... This episode might have had some of the strongest visuals, if not the strongest visuals in the entire show. Maybe they had the biggest budget they had. They wanted to go out with a bang. I'd say they succeeded. In general, you know, endings are hard to do. Right? And this, yeah. we, we haven't really mentioned that mm-hmm. that's the hardest thing. When you're, There's a ton of people out there who said, oh, I've started a book. It's like, yeah, well, that's the easy part. <laughs> that's the easy part. Like, There's so many TV shows that start amazingly and end horribly. You know, uh, and it almost to the point where mm-hmm. it ruins the the previous seasons,
1: yeah, sometimes even when they end well, it's hard to really be satisfied when it's something that was like six seasons long and the last episode is really good. Well, you want more than really good for the last episode after six <laughs> seasons. So the uh, pressure is mm-hmm. on and it's just yeah. difficult.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of things to tie together, lots of expectations to meet. What did you like most about the visuals the Matt did you you particularly like the battle? The battle was
2: spectacular for the visuals. I've I've always been a huge fan of the cinematography on this show, but the the, the fight scene between Billy and Flint obviously yeah. was extremely well done, very tense, but I've seen Flint fight before. I've seen Billy fight before, and you know, I'm pretty sure that this isn't where Flint's going <laughs> to meet his end. That would have been anticlimactic. But but that moment where you? Because we all know that Jack Rackham is not a great swordsman. He's not super strong. He's he's not in. He's not a great warrior. But when he's on deck, and you see that moment where he sees Woods Rogers, I, all I could think of was the scene in the carriage where he failed to kill him, and yeah. he really <laughs> wants to kill him, and and I don't think I've ever. Rooted for a character to just go do murder as much as I was for him right there. But he doesn't all of a sudden become Errol Flynn, great swordsman. You know, he's still, he holds his own for a second, but he needs a little bit of help from Flint at the end. But that fight scene between those three men was unbelievable. Short, beautiful, and very, very well done.
0: Right on. A couple other neat little details there was Flint hacking away at that one sail to spin the ship around that was really well done mm-hmm. that was cool good it's visual. like the mm-hmm. third or fourth time that he's figured out how to maneuver a ship when it was unmaneuverable <laughs> yeah he's really good at that this that's, that's <laughs> his uh naval training mm-hmm. and then there's some smaller details like when Madi is rescued she comes out into the light and she sees all the different leaders that are there to rescue her and she in that moment is like it's back on. We're all together. The war's back on, and she smiles. And next to her, Silver Everybody. frowns. No.
2: <laughs> that was shortly, shortly there, right after he had that interaction with the cook, right? Yes. Where he he realized that what was happening wasn't good. And then he got the thing he wanted back so it makes sense that that might be the moment he goes oh no this isn't right yeah yeah
0: he's got this relief that she's alive because at first he opens the door and he doesn't know if she's alive you know he Mm could easily see her being dead obviously woods rogers in his state of mind wouldn't have been you know at all a stretch for her to be Mm -hmm. dead and that's not even accounting for billy which you know he wasn't i'm sure he probably didn't know that happened there's a lot of other good little details. We already mentioned Mrs. Hudson reading the famous historical book, General History of Pirates. That's the short version of the title. I like mm-hmm. seeing, like, Jack's sword when he holds his sword up to Woods Rogers' neck. You can see the notches in it, like the notches in the blade. Yeah. And all throughout the show, the ships have wonderful detail of scored wood, of wear and tear, mm-hmm. ropes and tar, and just things like that. The only thing that kind of throws it off, which every show in Hollywood does, is that these people all have way better teeth than they should have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and are exceptionally good looking yeah, one and yeah, all. Yeah, I'm not going far enough by uh, just pointing to the teeth. It's really their whole body of mm-hmm. attractiveness.
2: But all of the all of the sets, all of the clothes, the costumes, man, what I wouldn't give to have Flint's coat. <laughs> but they all have a really lived-in, well-worn look yeah. to
0: them. We also have a cool detail when Flint is brought into Savannah. The, on the gates there is the Georgia state motto, which is, non Sibi said Alice, not for ourselves, but for others. That's kind of cool. I, I saw that phrase, and I was like, ooh, I got to look that up. I don't know what it is. Whenever I see a Latin phrase, yeah. you know, like, you got to look that up. <laughs> I feel like you should have known what that one was. Yeah, yeah. I do, yeah. <laughs> me and Sean live in Atlanta. <laughs> I really should know the state motto of Georgia. <laughs> of course, Georgia wasn't a state then.
2: Yeah, it was part of the Carolina colony, huh? But it makes me wonder if that reality... Maybe that kind of high-minded idealism that the guy who had that uh, plantation, you know, that place for undesirables to go, maybe there is a reality there. Maybe that has something to do with the founding of Georgia or the founder of Georgia. Maybe there is some some tie into the real world there that I'm not aware of.
0: Well, they picked Savannah, perhaps, because it was the early capital of Georgia, but it also, even now, has that reputation of being... You know, an artsy city, not at all like mm-hmm. the rest of Georgia. Well, Atlanta's got that rep too. Atlanta's very cosmopolitan, very modern, and progressive. Oh, that's new for Atlanta to be that way. That's true. Atlanta hasn't doesn't have an old reputation for that. Savannah's had that reputation for a long time. Yeah. So that's that is perhaps plays into this working out. Maybe that it kind of works for them to use this. And it and like you said, mm-hmm. maybe there is some 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 truth to it. Perhaps the final visual element is. The Jolly Roger, the new, yeah. the, the final black sail, we can call it, as Jack is <laughs> taking up his role with Mary Read and Ann Bonny as the state pirates, I guess you can call it, the unofficial pirates, the legal pirates, you can say. <laughs> the helpers of the insurance company profits. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Pri- private contractors, <laughs> I think,
0: works for that one. Yeah, yes. private contractors, that's good. <laughs> well, can, we got to come up with a word for that, like... Uh, Privateer? No, 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 no. Well, yeah, no. I'm trying to come up with a joke here. Well, there's like, like uh, it might be policy, policy accentuators. There you go. Yeah, there's got to be a something a, corporate sounding. A
2: Blackwater joke in there because I think of those guys oh, when I think about yeah. pirates a lot.
1: Yeah, Blackwater sales <laughs> No, it's a great bit of irony, by the way, that this. Symbol of piracy, but, you know, probably the most recognizable image or universally associated thing with pirates, you know, whatever legacy Jack wants to have. The Jolly Rogers is the real thing. You know what I mean? And he's like, "Eh, it's fine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Especially did that that line came after his speech right his his speech at yeah. the end that was so good and then his last line "Oh, yeah, eh, yeah. well, it's fine yeah, i guess that'll work <laughs> it's funny that they had that one be the last flag you would see but every pirate ship had uh an accurate pirate flag on it like blackbeards had blackbeard's pirate flag on the queen anne's revenge Flint's ship had a had a flag that I I don't think I ever got a really good look at, but it definitely had uh, skulls and bones on it, but not in the traditional Jolly Roger uh, fashion. They usually didn't up until that one became the main design. Oh, cool. Final thoughts.
0: Okay, let's do some wrap-up here, guys. What about our favorite moment from this final episode? It's, as usual... It's hard to pick a favorite moment, but this feels so final to pick a final favorite moment that makes it even harder. So the pressure's on.
2: Can I go first? Can I go first? You can Maybe. go first. <laughs> Excellent. It's Flint's speech. Uh his last speech there. At his the There Be
0: Dragon's speech. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh about the darkness. Probably the most powerful speech I've seen in the entire thing, and really solidifies Toby Stevens as just a powerhouse of an actor for me. So I I I loved that whole scene. It was very very beautiful all
0: right sean what was your favorite moment
1: man it's really tough uh i'm gonna i have sort of two one was like a really quick subtle thing when billy and flint were fighting and billy pulled the knife that flint had just shoved into his thigh out and attacked flint with it and and they're like on the canvas yeah and he cuts the canvas and almost as soon as he does that starts to fall through the canvas there's this look on his face his eyes widen as he realizes what's happening and flint scrambles to the edge it was a really quick subtle moment i thought it was really good and my other favorite moment wasn't really a moment it was i don't know how to say this it was sort of a theme that came out here i like that so many of the characters in this show had these senses of adventure and these ambitions for these great goals and it in the end they didn't die but it's still kind of tragic because they've abandoned these goals you know what i mean this sort of this struggle between you know what's important Mm -hmm. in the big picture you know liberty for nassau versus your own personal safety Right? and these characters were throwing their own personal safety and even that of their loved ones to the wind for this bigger ambition. But in the end, well, Julius is right. Forget the bigger <laughs> ambition, let's just be safe. And I can't decide what I think about that. You know, like I, I can't decide if it was a happy ending or not. You know, it's, it's happy that I guess Silver and Maddie get to live heavily after, but is Flint right? Will he just be dissatisfied for the rest of his life for abandoning this greater purpose? I don't know. I really like that sort of conflict, and how, in the end, it's it's not really a happy ending because the characters didn't really I succeed. I think that's a really you
2: know interesting outlook on it uh, that I hadn't really thought too much about. Maybe as Americans, we in particular see freedom as you know the great virtue, but back then they still lived in the world of monarchy, yeah. and the end of the stories for most of these pirates wasn't
0: good. It's usually the end of a rope. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, usually. (laughs) So
2: that's that's a really great dichotomy that they've got to make that compromise. What's the most important thing to me? Uh, Yeah, that's a wonderful outlook. I hadn't thought about that.
0: What's your favorite disease? I would say I really appreciate the strategy and the thinking that goes behind, like you said, you give the writers a lot of credit for making these characters smart. I'm someone who plays a lot of games, board games, strategy games. So I really appreciate strategy. And I think the strategy that Silver had, the strategy that Flint had, the strategy that Max had, all these characters had really great strategy that involved getting in the heads of other people around them. Who also had great strategies. Right. <laughs> and ultimately, that's one of the reasons that Silver was able to outsmart so many people is that no one mm-hmm. ever got in his head. Except for Maddie. Maybe Maddie did, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> but she loved him so much that she didn't want to work against him at all. Silver yeah. was willing to work against her because he just thought she was doing the wrong thing, and he valued her more than he valued what she wanted, and was hoping that in the long run she would forgive him. Which was a kind of a gamble of its own. But a safer gamble than living your whole life of war, I'd say. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Do you think Maddie knows Silver's true story? His origin, where he comes from?
0: I would think he'd have to tell her. Yeah, I would think he would tell her eventually, but maybe he mm-hmm. wouldn't tell the truth, but I think she would know. I think she knows him too well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I can imagine that Maddie also
1: recognizes it's not important, doesn't bother to ask. Mm-hmm. But I can also imagine eventually he'll just, did I ever tell you about the time when I was seven? You know, like eventually <laughs> he'll probably tell her, And it, but it won't be like this. You know, this big moment Mm -hmm. you know it'll just be incidental conversation well
0: if it's the secret that he's held close to his heart for a long time mm he didn't want to discuss it it might take him a while to to let out you know to to calm down about that to kind of get over the trauma of whatever it was and so he's willing to talk about it you never know maybe he
1: finally tells her and she rejects him and so he just (laughs) has to go after some treasure
0: (laughs) (laughs) to an island okay that's our show Big thanks to Matt from the pirate history podcast. Tell everybody where to find you, your social media and what you've got coming up next with your show.
2: Alrighty. Fantastic. So you can always go to the website. That's pirate Or you can find us on all the usual so- uh, social media platforms. We're on Twitter at black Flagcast or search for us on Facebook, SoundCloud or YouTube. Our Upcoming episode is actually going to be the finale of our series on Captain Henry Morgan. It's going to be a look at his most famous raid, the raid on Panama, and the aftermath of that, which will signal the dusk of the buccaneer era of piracy. So it'll be a good place to check out, but if you're more interested in what comes up after, we're going to be starting a whole new series about it after that. So yeah, go ahead and check it out. It's a fantastic listen.
0: Great on. Well, thanks for joining us today, Matt. We're both fans of your show, and definitely recommend it to all you listening. If you're fans of pirates, and since Black Sales is over, where are you going to go for your pirate fix? Well, there's your answer.
2: Alrighty, thank you for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it.
0: Alright, so,
1: signing off for the last episode of our Black Sales coverage. I'm Sean, and I'll be retiring to Fanadelphia.
2: I'm Matt, and I'll be retiring to Fanama.
0: Oh, there you go with your bad self, Halen, <laughs> And I... We'll go join Captain Flint in Safana.